You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He probably thought that he was safe within the walls of that city. But no one is safe when they run against God's will. There isn't a wall high enough or strong enough to protect against God and His perfect will. So let's bring this down to personal terms here. You're not safe if you're going against God and God's will. So be sure of that. There are many today who think that God and the ideas of judgment and damnation are a myth. They feel invincible and live their lives as if there will never be any consequences. Yet, as Pastor Mike teaches today, you can never run from God. You will eventually have to answer for the life you're living. You can't hide from His judgment. It comes for everyone. Your only saving grace will be having faith in Jesus and trusting in His sacrifice on the cross for you. Only this makes you worthy. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 20 as he continues his message, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. must be loyal to Jesus in spite of any mocking by the multitudes. And isn't that what Jeba was trying to do? He got everybody all fired up. I can only imagine they were all crying out at that point at David. Remember the, what they had suggested here. We have no share in David, nor do we have any inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his own tents. This was their cry, right? This was their motto, if you will. And so we must be loyal to Jesus in spite of any mocking by the multitudes. We need to remain loyal to Jesus in spite of the rebellion of our flesh, even when our flesh is working against us. It's at that point we need to put down our flesh, our fleshly desires, and remain loyal to Jesus. We must also stay strong to protect, even during those times when God seems distant from us. Those are the times in which we need to remain loyal to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our King. So, the men of Israel decide to follow Sheba, and David must have been sorry to see them withdraw, but he knows that this is not the time for an open conflict, and thus he lets them go. And when it is expedient, now he makes his way back to the city of Jerusalem. Okay, let's pick up in verse 3. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the, which 
by the way, the same house that he had abandoned when he fleed from the city of Jerusalem because of Absalom. He came back to his house at Jerusalem. Remember, he left his ten concubines behind to take care of the affairs of his home. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and he put them in seclusion. But he supported them, and the reason why he put them in a seclusion and they remained widows was because of his son, Absalom, had committed adultery with each and every one of them. Remember that, to embarrass uh, his father. And he put them in seclusion, and, but he supported them, but did not go into them. And so they were shut up to the day of their death, living in a widowhood. So, he wouldn't return once again, have any kind of relationship with these ten women, but he continued to support them. Now, uh, remember those loyal followers of uh, David, even when David flee the city of Jerusalem, when now he's coming back to the city, you know, for them it must have been a great uh, time of rejoicing for those who wept when he was forced to uh, leave. So, what should have been a great time of uh, rejoicing, now David realizes that this was not a time for celebration. And David had to move quickly to squash this rebellion that's taking place, led by this fellow Sheba. And in verse 4, now let's pick up in verse 4, we read, And the king said to Hamasa, who was one of his generals, Assemble the men of Judah, for me, and the reason why the men of Judah was because everybody, all the men of Israel had abandoned him. So assemble all the men of Judah for me within three days, and you, Amasa, be present here yourself. Okay, so he summons Amasa, and he instructs him to call together Judah's militia. And then David gives him three days to assemble the army. But notice in verse 5, there we are told, so Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. And what was that set time? Three uh, days. So Amasa found either the people weren't willing to go out to war against their brothers from the north, Israel, or were unwilling to accept Amasa as their general. Thus the delay. Well, this worries David, and so he turns now to Abishai, Joab's brother. Verses 6 and 7. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, uh, will do for us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him. He's referring to his own bodyguards. Lest he find for him self-fortified cities and escapes us. So they're set out now to track this fellow Sheba out and kill him. So Joab's men, now this is significant. Notice the reference to Joab's men with the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, and remember, the Cherethites and the Pelethites were David's bodyguards. These were not Jews. 
but they were hired by David to protect them. David thought it would be better, you know, because of the, because of the tribes and their own personal agendas and the possibility of them turning upon David. So actually, David hired these men who weren't Jews, who didn't have any hidden agenda, like the other tribes did very wise to do this. But these were men of renown. And so anyway, we are told, so Joab's men, with all the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, this was, uh, uh, if you would, David's special ops, sort of mercenaries, uh, like Green Berets or such, went out after him, after Sheba, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of uh, Bichri. And that's what we're told there in that verse, in verses 6 and 7. So Abishai musters together David's bodyguards and what once were his mercenaries, these special ops, as I've already mentioned, and off they go. But notice in verse 7, I'll bring you back to that, Joab's men. You see, that's a reference to those men who remained loyal to Joab. And remember, this time, Amasah has replaced Joab as David's general. So evidently, they are loyal to Joab, but not to Amasah. And so the men under what is supposed to be Abishai's leadership head north. And in verse 8, the the first part of verse 8, we read, when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasah came before them. And so they pause by a great stone. We don't know where or what that stone is in reference to, but nevertheless, it was a large stone. Probably some well-known landmark. And probably also they were there waiting, possibly waiting, for some intelligence information you know, to, to continue to go forward. But all of a sudden, notice, according to our text, Amasah joins them there, likely with the contingent he has gathered from the cities of Judah. When Joab, by the way, is Amasah's cousin, steps forward to greet him. So Joab all all of a sudden appears out of nowhere, right? And his intentions are far from being cordial. Okay, let's pick up now in the latter part of verse 8 through verse 10. Now, Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fashioned in its sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. But listen, I believe that this was done intentionally, because notice we go on and read. Then Joab said to Amasah, his cousin, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasah by the beard, with his right hand, and kissed him. But Amasah did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand. And he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails, blood and guts, poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. In other words, he just left him to die and bleed out, to suffer. And thus he died. Then Joab and Abiashai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of uh, Bichri. And so Joab just lets him suffer. He's bleeding out there on the, on the ground. 
then the men are called upon to join Joab in pursuing Sheba. Notice there in verse 11. We read there. Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasah and said, well, he's bleeding out there, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. So now Joab uh, takes on this leadership role as David's general. But he hasn't been commissioned by David. He's taking this upon himself. Now, as the ranks of soldiers caught up to where this assassination had just taken place, this gruesome spectacle that's just taken place, the people are quite startled. They're shocked. And we can only imagine that visual effect of a fallen general and the impact that it must have had on his military. Now, one of Joab's men come forward and they act. And in verses 12 and 13, we read, but Amasah wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. He's just left there. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, he moved Amasah from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came upon him halted. When he was removed from the highway, all the people went out on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And then Joab, once again, is the commander of the army, and he continues their pursuit of this man, Sheba. Verse 14, let's pick up there. And he went through all of the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth Makkah and all the Berites. And so they were gathered together and also went after Sheba. So this pursuit of Sheba was a long time and it lasted several weeks. He had taken his men, that is Sheba, through several cities of Israel, but finally he's cornered. And Joab has got him exactly where he wants him. Verse 15. Let's pick up there. Then they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Maccah, and they cast up a siege mound against the city. He's hiding within the city, the city walls. He sought refuge there. Initially, the people took him in. And it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it uh, down. So Joab and his men, they commence building a ramp so they can enter the city over the wall. Also, soldiers were set to work undermining the foundation of a portion of the city wall. So it will topple over so Joab and his men can enter it. The people of Beth Makkah initially gave Sheba and his men sanctuary, but they are about to change their mind. Now, their leader there within this city is a woman with great understanding, leadership, and verbal skills. Let's pick up now in verses 16 through uh, 22. Then a wise woman, now Joab's, he's ready to, you know, they're beating against the walls and they're just about ready to, you know, take it over get a hold of Sheba, and all of a sudden we're introduced to this woman who's their leader. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please say to Joab, 
Come nearby that I may speak with you. And when he had come near to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, and I am listening. Notice the way she presents herself to Joab as his maidservant. She doesn't come from some lofty, haughty position, right? Although she's a leader of the people of the city, right? And, uh, but she places herself in an inferior position, right? And uh, notice the way that she approaches a Joab here. So anyway, she goes on to declare, hear the, hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening, verse 18. So she spoke, saying, they used to talk in former times, saying, they shall surely seek guidance at Abel, and so they would end disputes. I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy your city and mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it for me that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not so. But a man, and then he goes on to explain why he's there, why he's attacking them. From the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Now, deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And so notice the way that the woman responded. She said to Joab, watch his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman, in her wisdom, went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. And then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king there at the city of Jerusalem. Okay, so I want you to take special note of this. This is interesting. Sheba, I want you to, if you would, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. I don't know if that's a good place to be or not, but he probably thought that he was safe within the walls of that city. But no one is safe when they run against God's will. There isn't a wall high enough or strong enough to protect against God and his perfect will. So let's bring this down to personal terms here. You're not safe if you're going against God and God's will. So be sure of that. Okay, now, let's go on here. So, Joab blows the trumpet, and the people depart, and notice, they return to the king. Though Sheba's rebellion had been quelled, David was faced with a self-appointed general who was Joab, who persisted in killing men whom the king put in authority. You know, go back several chapters. Remember, it was the same Joab who killed Abner, who killed Absalom, and now uh, he also killed Amasa, right? And so David hardly welcomed him with open arms when he returned to the city of Jerusalem, but David thought he did save the kingdom. In fact, later on, if you continue to read on here in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings in chapter 2, we are told that David actually instructs his son Solomon, 
who was about to be king in his place, to kill Joab, and that's in fact what takes place. Well, anyway, peace is now restored, and David is free to devote his attention to taking care of the eternal affairs of the nation. And what we have in the remainder verses of this chapter are the list of David's cabinet members. So let's read those final verses. And Joab was over all of the army of Israel. Benoni, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Gerethites and the Pelethites. Uh, Again, those were David's bodyguards. So these two men served as David's defense ministers, if you will, in his cabinet. Verse 24, uh, Adoram was in charge of uh, revenue. So this man actually served in David's administration as the commerce uh, secretary. Then we are told uh, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. So he was the official historian. Verse 25, Sheba was scribe. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests, so they were the religious leaders during the time in which David sat upon the throne. And then finally, in verse 26, we are introduced to Ira, the Jalorite. He was a chief minister under David. Now, some people suggest that he was sort of countermount to David's secretary of state, but then others believe that the idea behind the phrase chief minister, is that Ira was sort of a chaplain to David. And i got to tell you something, I kind of lean more towards that explanation of who he was and what, his, what he was all about. So if that be the case, I want you to think about this. Remember in my opening statement, if you remember, uh, and I said this chapter is a stark reminder of how difficult and confusing life can be, even for the best of God's children. And the only remedy is acquired by staying close to God, staying in his word, and taking advantage of any and all resources that he makes available to us. And so I believe that this fellow that we're introduced to here is one of those resources that God had made available to a David. And so what should we take away from any of this? Well, if David, who is recommended to us by God himself, a man after my own heart, and also in the Bible, he's recommended to us as the sweet psalmist of Israel. If he needed devotional help, we should not think ourselves above that. Isn't that true? Oh, how that we need to stay so ever so close to God. Stay in his word. Use all of the resources that God has made available to us. Fellowship prayer, all of the things that are necessary. If that was true in the case of David, how much more is it true in our case as well? In my father's house There's a place for me In my father's house Where I long That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. 
You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place for